Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Peter, who was once known as a Simon, walked with Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry for three and a half years. Peter knew Christ in a very personal way. He ate with him. He lodged with him. He traveled with him. He had personal conversations with him. He saw him do miracles that no other disciples could witness. Peter was part of the inner circle, the Bible says. There were 70 who preached and prepared the cities for Christ's visitation. And there were also 12 who were the apostles. Christ prayed all night to appoint these 12, and one of them was Peter. And there were the three, the inner circle, out of the 12, and there were John, James, and Peter. And we know it in this order of Peter, James, and John, because I believe Peter was leader among the group. Peter was one who replied to Christ when asked, What do people say that I am? And Peter replied, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The other disciples replied, Some say John the Baptist, Lord, Elias, Jeremiah, and some other prophets. But Peter, through the Holy Spirit of God, got it right. He said, Thou art the Christ. So Peter was in every way a prominent figure within the circle of the disciples. But like every other man, he was not perfect. And his pride clouded his judgment about himself. Christ warned the disciples in Matthew 26, verse 31, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. And Peter cannot just hold his tongue, and he speaks up as Jesus Christ gives prophecy concerning what's to come. All the disciples will be scattered. All the disciples will forsake him at the Garden of Gethsemane when he's taken by the soldiers and by the servants of the high priest. And Peter speaks up and goes against this prophecy. And the Bible says in verse 33, that Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I never be offended. I never be offended. In verse 34, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice three times. Peter said unto him, Though I would die with thee, yet will I not deny thee Likewise also said all the disciples. And you see, Peter was a leader among the group. But Peter said a lot of the disciples wanted to follow along. And it was good to hear that Peter was trying to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was, he was doing it with pride. He was doing it for his own arrogance and his own power and, and his own testimony. He says, other people will deny you or be offended, but I will never be. And Jesus Christ says, you'll deny me not only once, not only twice, but how many times? Three times. So, he will offend Jesus Christ three times. But Peter was very sure about this situation, and he said, He said, I would 
even die with you. As I'm dying with you, I will never deny you. I wonder if Peter had the right humble response that maybe he wouldn't have denied him. Well, the Bible says in James 4, 6, if you look at the scripture on the screen, but he giveth more what? Grace. Grace would be second chance, and grace would be something that you receive when you don't deserve it. Grace. Wherefore he saith, God resists the who? The proud, but giveth grace unto the who? The humble. I wonder if the situation would have turned around for Peter if he was a humble man during this time. But as we think about Peter's testimony and also his pride, and also maybe his sin in his heart, thank God where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And uh, the grace of God is always victorious over sin. There was an advertisement on the side of a plumber's van in South Africa which read, there is no place too deep, too dark, or too dirty for us to handle. And, uh, you know, as we think about this, I guess, advertisement by the plumber, you know, that's the same thing with our God. And there is no sin that is too deep, too dark, too dirty for Jesus Christ to handle. He could forgive all sins, God's people said. And where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Oh, where we read in the beginning that Peter denied Christ three times. He gave an oath and he even cursed and swore. But through it all, God's grace was still available for Peter. For he wrote, as we read just a moment ago in the beginning as well, in 2 Peter 1, 2, grace and be, peace be, what's the next word there? Multiplied. Isn't that a wonderful word? You know, God doesn't just give us grace and peace, but he gives it in multiplication over and over again. Unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. God's grace is never insufficient. His grace is always sufficient. As we walk through this Christian journey, we can recognize more and more of how sinful we are. But through this recognition, we also recognize how gracious our God is. And as I'm growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, I've been saved uh, 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 I now uh, going on 15 years this year. And, and uh, as I am observing my life, as I am somewhat studying my life and and also, uh, uh, you know, researching my heart sometimes, I realize how much of a sinner I am. And uh, as I am getting a little older, I recognize that I have many faults, I have many mistakes. And, and uh, what really uh, catches me is not the sin that abounds in my life, but the grace that abounds in my life. And that God's grace is sufficient for me to keep going and that I could keep on worshiping him and to love him and that I could serve him and that I could be faithful, not by my own power, but by the gracious power of our Savior. And that I focus on Jesus. I agree what Hebrew writer said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And that he is our encouragement and he is our uh, uh, strength and power. And, and we need to look to him as we think about our lives. And as much as we have sin in our lives, let's think about our Savior who forgives and, and a person who, who always gracious to give us another chance. Even though Peter denied the Lord three times, he preached at Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. He and John went to the temple and preached at Solomon's porch. And the Bible records that 5,000 men got saved. 
He was chosen to preach to the first crowd of Gentiles in Caesarea. History records that he, did not, he died the faithful death as a martyr, hanging upside down on the cross. Why did God use Peter again? He failed and denied the Lord so miserably by the fire there. And they said, God did not use Peter because of Peter. We've got to understand that. God does not use you, God does not use me because of us. God does not give us another chance, God does not in any way give us grace because of us. No, he does that because of who he is. God is love. God is gracious. God is forgiving. God is peace. You see, God, in his divine nature, cannot bring conflict upon himself. He cannot contradict himself. So by his divine nature, he gives us grace, and he gives us an opportunity to keep going again. So God used Peter because of his grace, not because of Peter. It wasn't his performance. It wasn't his achievement. It wasn't his rewards. It wasn't his power. It was God's grace. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we have been saved by grace. We have not entered into the journey of grace. And grace is a merited favor, meaning undeserved favor, receiving something that we don't deserve. I'm sure uh, uh, in every way you have received something in your career or maybe a gift in your life where you never thought to receive it, but you got it. And you never worked for it, you never paid for it, you never even expected it, but you received it gladly. Why? Because it was free. And that's what God's grace is. God's grace is free. There's nothing uh, that we need to add to it. He has already paid the price, and, and that's why the Bible says, not of works, let any man should boast. And we're not saved by the works that we do. No, we're saved by the gracious uh, uh, gift of salvation by our God who paid the penalty of sin. And Jesus Christ died on that cross, and, and he shed his blood, and that his blood could cleanse your life and your sin, and that he could take your uh, soul and spirit to go to heaven. And ladies and gentlemen, it's nothing that we have done. It's only what Christ has done. And we have believed in his name. And if you have never done that, I encourage you to do so this morning. It's not how good you are because there's nothing good about us. There's only that sin that abounds. But you need to receive the gracious gift of, our, gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And you need to recognize that he's the only one that could forgive your sin. And that he's the only one that could promise you the gift of life. And uh, get the eternal life. Oh, do not trust yourself, my friend. Do not trust in any other religion. For Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's very clear. It's very clear that he singles himself out. He elevates himself. Why? Because he is the God of creation, and he is the God of God and the Lord of lords, and he is the only one that died on that cross for your sin. I think about my father. He fought the gospel many years of his life. Many times he said, why does Jesus Christ have to forgive my sin? I will take care of my sin. But the end of his life, he uh, was the end of the robes, and he recognized that he couldn't forgive himself. He couldn't work his way to go to heaven. He cannot improve himself, but he needed Jesus in tears. But in the hospital, he received Christ as his personal Savior. Well, you don't have to wait until... You know, the last day of your life, my friend. You could do it now. 
Jesus Christ loves you, and he wants you to receive Christ now. Oh, think about the gracious gift of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He died for you. He thought of you when he died. And uh, as much as he thought of the thief. And uh, who asked, would you remember me in paradise? And Jesus Christ said, yes, I will. And even at the dying moment of this life, in this earthly life, Jesus Christ thought of that one soul. And he thinks of you even this morning. He loves you as much as he loved that thief who was hanging right next to him. Oh, he wants you to receive him as your, as your personal Savior. And as we think about this grace that we receive, let us not abuse this grace. Amen? As Christians today, let's not abuse God's grace. Let's not just do whatever we want. And, and let us make sure that we are grateful for this gift. And, and let us be grateful for another chance and opportunity that he gives us over and over again. And, and uh, I think about what Richard uh, Baxter once wrote, as we pay nothing for God's eternal love and nothing for the Son of His love and nothing for His Spirit and our grace and faith and nothing for our eternal rest, what an astonishing thought it will be. Think of the immeasurable difference between our deservings and our receivings and how free was all this love and how free is this enjoy glory. So then let deserve be written on the floor of hell, but on the door of heaven and life, the free and as we think about the quote of Richard Baxter, you know, we join in that same wonderful uh, 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 rejoicing to realize that it's a free gift. And free gifts should never be abused. This is free. And ladies and gentlemen, let us not in any way throw out this gift of salvation, toss it in the corner and, 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 and never live a grateful life, never live a life of uh, of faith and never live a life in grace. No, let us in every way abound in this grace and let's do more for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he said later on that he worked more abundantly than they all, meaning concerning the other disciples and the other apostles. Why? Because of the grace that abounded in his life. And he said, I'm not going to mess this up. I'm not going to just toss it on the corner. I'm not going to just do whatever I want. I want to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I commend my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I hope you do that in your life as a Christian. If it's free, let us in every way not abuse it. You know, as we think about grace, Satan does not wish for us to understand and believe in God's grace. Christ said to Peter in Luke 22, verse 31, look at the screen with me, it's a very wonderful scripture. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, who? Satan. Satan had desire to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, when you're restored, strengthen thy brethren. You know, as we think about the scripture, I don't think Jesus Christ was praying for Peter concerning the denial that he'll do by the fire. He was praying for Peter to be restored and that he will strengthen the brethren. That thy fail, that thy faith fail not. See, Christ already knew that Peter would deny the Lord three times. He already knew that. It's going to happen. But he prayed for Peter 
for that restoration process. When you're converted, make sure your faith doesn't fail. Make sure you keep going in my grace and that you can strengthen your brethren. And as we think about the scripture, that's where Satan wants us the most. When we fail. When we sin. When we are ashamed of ourselves. Oh, he desires to have you. Yeah, you're no good for anything. Yeah, you're not worth it. Yeah, you know, uh, you're a failure in Christendom. Why go to church? Why even read the Bible? You're such a failure. And Satan will pound that news in your life over and over and over again. And Satan desires to have you and walk away from church, walk away from the Bible, walk away from prayer, and walk away from everything that you've held dear in your lives. Walk away even from your family. I'm a, I'm a failure as a husband. I'm a failure as a father. I'm a failure as a wife and a mother. And just simply walk away. And you're going to let Satan have his goal and his purpose in your life. Don't let him do that. Abound in grace. God wants to restore you. Now, of course, there needs to be repentance. But after repentance, there is restoration. Let us all find God's grace in this journey. Because Satan is raiding around the corner to sit you as wheat as well. You know, Peter was reminded through Christ's visitation in in John here, and uh, we'll look through John 21. We didn't read it in the beginning of the message, but we'll read it through as we go through it. Christ visits the disciple. Christ visits Peter personally. And Christ promised them that he would see them in Galilee before even he was crucified in Matthew 26, verse 32. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. I will see you there. And they were there. And he did so, and they were back into fishing, the Bible says. They were old life. They weren't going to city by city. They weren't preaching the gospel anywhere. They were just the Sea of Galilee, fishing and going back to their old work. And God's grace visited them, and they are reminded once again of how powerful, how sufficient his grace is. And, and God sought Peter out. And how was Peter directed to God's grace again? How was he reminded? I'd like to share with you this morning three spiritual reminders of God that leads us to his grace. Number one, let's think about our Lord. Peter was reminded of God's calling. Let's think about the calling of God this morning. God's calling in verse 3 of John 21. It's also in your notes in the bulletin, but also on the screen. The Bible says, Simon Peter said to him, I go a fishing. They say unto him, Oh, we also go with thee. I'll follow you, Peter. They went forth, entered into a ship immediately. That night they caught nothing. You see, all the disciples, disciples forsook who? Jesus Christ at the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? Okay, this, the sheep scattered, okay, and as a shepherd was taken away. And these people are all ashamed, and they're in any way, in every way, feeling guilty, and, and they feel like a failure. So Peter says, let's go fishing, and everyone says, oh, we go together. Let's all go together. So they're encouraged to go back to the old life, fishing. And instead of strengthening his brother, Peter, he leads him to, backsl- to a backsliding condition with him. 
So Peter is clouded with his old life, own life, I'm sorry, rather than God's calling. What happens to them is, is amazing, it's, it's predictable. What they do in fishing doesn't become fruitful. The Bible says they catch nothing. They catch nothing. I mean, they were professional fishermen. They knew how to fish. They knew where to go. They knew where to catch the net. They knew what hour of the day they needed to go. And But the Bible says that they caught nothing. But who visits them? Jesus Christ does. He tells them how to catch fish. <laughs> Let me tell you how to catch fish. In verse 6, and he said unto them, Cast a net on the right side of the ship. Maybe they've been casting it on the other side. And he shall find a cast therefore. Now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Now, did Christ call Peter to fish? Catch fishes? No. Christ called Peter to catch who? Catch men. I believe Christ did all this to remind Peter to the calling that he had when he first encountered Jesus Christ at the Sea of Galilee. Peter was fishing all night. He caught nothing on that same day or that same night. And Jesus Christ comes along. Why don't you launch into the deep and cast your nets out into the water? And Peter said, we told all night. You don't even know how to fish. He's probably in his own mentality, in his own mind, in his own observation. And, uh, you know, uh, you're from Nazareth, and we're by the, you know, uh, towns of Galilee, and we know our trade, we know our work, and we caught nothing. You're telling us to go. But nevertheless, at thy word, Master, I will go. But he cast one net, the Bible says. I will cast out the net. And the Bible says that there were multitude of fishes that was caught on that net, and that boat began to sink. And he had to call another friend over to, ca- to catch all the fish unloaded to the other boat. And with this, the Bible says in Luke 5, verse 10, Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. That was the beginning of Peter's journey with Christ. But he denied the Lord three times, so in his mind, the calling of God is not relevant anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, for Peter it wasn't relevant, but for God, was it relevant? Yes, it was. The Bible says... In Romans chapter 11, verse 29, let's read this together. You have it on the screen, I believe. Let's read this together. Ready? For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. You know, God doesn't change his mind about his calling. God called you to be his child. You responded. You're still his child. God called you to serve. God still is calling you to serve. God wants you to live holy. God's still calling you, calling you to live holy. God wants you to be faithful. God is still calling to you to be faithful. God is calling you to study his word and, and abide in his presence and pray. God is still calling you to do that. God has never changed his mind about his commandment, about his calling. And by the way, with this, we recognize this is truly the grace of God. That God doesn't change. That his calling never changes. Is it based on our performance? No. Based on our achievements? No. Based on how well we do? No. It's based on who he is and what he does. He says, my calling for you has not changed. 
Stay faithful. Keep on running. Live for me. My calling for you has not changed. I love the description of God's promise and call to Abraham. Hebrews 6.13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, what does he do? He swear by himself. You know, he swear by himself. God looked around. There's nobody. There's only me. <laughs> There's only one person that I could promise and call you, Abraham. And that's me. And ladies and gentlemen, if it's based on him, it will never change. It will never change. He hasn't changed his mind about your family. He hasn't changed his mind about you being a godly husband and being a godly wife. God has not changed, young people, about obeying your parents. God has not changed about your testimony in this world, in your workplace. God has not changed about that. God has called you out and be sanctified. And uh, one day you'll be glorified. But during this time of sanctification in this life as well, let us make sure that we know his calling and that we abide in his calling because he has never changed. So Jesus Christ goes through the fishing instructions. Why? To remind Peter. Remember I called you. Three and a half years ago, do you remember that, Peter? Did you remember my calling again? Secondly, not only God's calling, but Peter was reminded of God's consistency. You know, verse 14, this is now the third time that Jesus shoot himself to his disciples after he had risen from the dead. So Christ rose again, and this was the third time that Christ appeared to Peter. And you would think after the first time that they would be restored to serve and faithfully, but don't we all drag our feet sometimes? So Christ had dialogue with Peter and asked him if he loves him, not once, not twice, but three times. Three appearances, three same questions. In verse 17, he said unto him, the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? So, you know, Jesus Christ is consistent with Peter. He visits Peter three times, and then he goes by the fire at the Sea of Galilee after he catches some fishes. And then he cooks for them as well. And he says, come and dine. And then they come to eat. And Jesus Christ asks, lovest thou me more than this? Not only once, not only twice, but three times as well. You see how consistent Jesus Christ is in seeking his child? In seeking his disciples? And by the way, it's very interesting. How many times did Jesus Christ, I mean, uh, how many times did Peter deny Jesus Christ? Three times. And Jesus Christ visits Peter three times. And Jesus Christ asks Peter the love question three times. In every denial, in every denial, what is God doing there? He's giving grace. You deny me once, I'll visit you. You deny me twice, I'll visit you again. You deny me three times, I'll visit you again. You know, uh, it's very interesting that Christ asked Peter one question before he asked, lovest thou me more than these? I mean, uh, lovest, lovest thou me? He says, lovest thou me more than these? 
he asked that question. What is he saying? I believe that he's maybe pointing to the fishes. You went fishing, Peter. Do you love fishing more than me? See, God is very consistent in getting your love. What is the greatest commandment of all? To love God with all of our hearts. You know, Jesus Christ said it so well, I mean, so profoundly. He said, you need to love me more than your family. He even said, you need to love me so much that your love toward your family will be hate. I'm not saying you should be hating your family. No, I think you should love your family. You should sacrifice for your family. But I don't think your family in any way or anybody else in that matter comes first before Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ first. Always love Jesus Christ. By the way, who is dragging you down today from loving your God? There's some idols in your life. There's some fishes in your life. Peter loved fishing more than Jesus at that time. And you might not be a fisherman today, but you might love work more than Jesus. You might love money more than Jesus. You might love a significant one more than Jesus. You might love maybe uh, media more than Jesus. Maybe young people, you might love video games more than Jesus. You never read this book, but you play all the games that you want to. and, And you never study God's word but you always in every way have time for your friends. Oh, I want to encourage you, everyone in this room, do you love God with all of your hearts? Does he have all of your heart? Is something dragging you down? Oh, for Peter, it was fishing. It was fishing. You know, God would consistently point out the love question. Do you love me more than this? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because loving God is the greatest commandment of all. The reason why we're not following him as we should is because we don't love God as we should. That is the main reason. Oh, I want to encourage you today. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Sacrifice some things in your life so that you could really focus on Christ. God is consistent in getting your love, getting my love. With that, number three, Peter was reminded that God God does not compare. God does not compare. Verse 21, Peter, seeing him, say to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Jesus said to him, if I would that he would tarry, I come. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. After all the dialogue between Christ and Peter, Peter makes a comparison between John and him. I mean, you would think that Peter would just wake up now. Oh, loving God, sacrificing for Jesus. That's what I'm called to. That's where I need to go. But he looks around, he looks at John. My competition, he says, Jesus, what is this man going to do? What is this, what will this man going to do? You know, God's grace is not biased. God's grace is not respecter of persons. There is not one person here who has more availability of God's grace than the other. Availability is the same. It's the way you respond. Is it in pride or is it in humility? And John did not have much more favor than, you know, Peter, availability-wise. And But Peter was clouded with comparing himself to another person. And he was, in every way, 
uh, 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 not seeing the grace of God at hand. That is not bias. That is not a respect to a person. Peter thought God's working in his life had to be measured by comparing himself to others. Me doing the bigger work, me doing the better work, me being the bigger person, me being the better person. And when you do that, it's not grace, but it's pride, my friend. Oh, let us not abuse the grace of God of focusing on ourselves and comparing ourselves and measuring ourselves. No, let us be grateful of God's grace and be humble by the fact that we have received what we don't, what we don't deserve. And when we are thinking about ourselves and how we could in any way uh, measure ourselves against other people and comparing ourselves in that way. You're measuring your performance. You're measuring your works. You're measuring who you are rather than who Christ is and who God is. Stop measuring and focusing yourself, my friend. You think about Jesus. You think about what he has called you to do. You think about what he wants you to do in life. You think about your personal relationship with him and stop exalting yourself among other people. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to fall from grace. You're going to fall from grace. I think about 1 Peter chapter 5, and Peter wrote these words. But the God of all grace, he mentions grace a lot in his, in his epistles. But the God of all grace, who had called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, Make you what? Let's say it together. Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Isn't that wonderful? You know, when you're broken, God wants to make you again. God wants to establish you again, strengthen you again, settle you even stronger. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I think in every way that we are too hard on ourselves sometimes and that we're running away from the grace of God. I'm not saying that you shouldn't repent. You ought to repent because we're sinners by nature and, and we ought to know who we are. Really, look at, our, look at ourselves in the mirror and really face reality and repent, but find grace in the time of need. You know, God is very gracious to you and God is very gracious to me. And God loves you very much and God loves everybody in this room. Do not in any way abuse God's grace by running away from him, by not responding to him, being indifferent, and thinking about yourself and how much of a failure you are, but realize how victorious Jesus Christ is instead of who you are today. Realize that before you settle on the fact that there is no other chance, no, there is no other opportunity, there is no other chance for you. Think about God's grace today. It's a journey of grace, not the journey of performance, Not the journey of works, it's a journey of...